Welcome, happy warriors, and welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where I, your rabbi, reveal how the world really works. I get many uh, delightful letters from listeners to this show uh, who write to me at our website, rabbidaniellappin.com, and here is one of the nicest we've just got here. Um, it's from Lena and Dan, who uh, run a trucking company, and they wrote to ask me about the tithing issues. Um, we are going to present their question and the answer we provided them in uh, the Ask the Rabbi feature coming up on uh, our website very soon. So you'll be able to see it then. But the best part of the letter was not the question, it was the PS. And it says, uh, we are recent listeners to the show, and you will appreciate the story behind how we came to be listeners. And my husband comes from a family and speaks about a number of siblings. And uh, about 13 years ago, a um, the oldest brother, uh, decided to leave the family and end contact. And there were reasons for it. There were things, you know, families are complicated, right? Things happen. But um, whatever it is, 13 years, no contact. And all of a sudden, um, they write that he reached out. Okay, his, uh, his name is Dave. That Dave, all of a sudden, after 13 years of estrangement from the family, he reached out and brought such joy, and it was the answer to our prayers. Um, he is out of state. We have not had a chance to see him face-to-face yet, but we keep in touch almost every day. Um, he is a heavy listener of your show, they write to me, and shares many of your videos with us. I don't know which video you posted, but one of your videos opened his heart to reach out to his family. And we want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for this blessing. Would you be so kind to welcome Dave back to the family on your show? Yes, absolutely I would. Dave, welcome back. I am so happy to hear of the story. Uh, I'd love to know. I'd love to know which show it was that uh, persuaded you to make the enormous step. And I'm sure it wasn't easy because you had your reasons. But you made this huge step to reconnect with Lena and Dan and all your other other siblings. Uh, I'd love to know which it was. But anyway, regardless, I am just absolutely thrilled. So welcome home, Dave and uh, Lena and Dan. Thank you for writing to tell me about it. It's really quite wonderful to hear. And um, uh, the Ask the Rabbi column is at rabbidaniellappin.com, so you'll be able to see it there. And, of course, that's where you can also uh, write and be in touch, which is exactly what Lena and Dan did. So uh, let's go back in time and travel both time and space, shall we? Let's head down to Central America. And uh, let's go all the way down to Honduras. And then after Honduras, 
comes Nicaragua, and then comes Costa Rica. Um, in Nicaragua, there used to be a pro-American government uh, by the name, run by the president, his name was Somoza, and along comes 1979. So we're traveling back in time quite a few years, all the way down to Central America, when the uh, radical communists, the Sandinistas, took over. There was a coup, and they took over uh, Nicaragua, and they started implementing enormous changes in the country, uh, let us say not all of which were wonderful or successful. One of the things they did, okay, up till that point, um, deaf children lived with their families. And um, because Nicaragua is a little bit remote and America's focus was on Panama, obviously, and to some extent Costa Rica less so, but there wasn't a lot of connection between America and Nicaragua. And so whereas American Sign Language had become pretty standard for deaf people in many, many parts of the world, in Nicaragua that didn't happen. And so you got a lot of children uh, living at home who are deaf, and they all have their own method of communicating with their family. They, you know, every family comes up with its own system for dealing with their child who is not able to hear. So along come the Sandinistas, and in 1979, they decide that uh, the state can do better than the families in taking care of deaf children, and they brought them all into the big city of Managua, and they put 500 Nicaraguan deaf children all together. Remember, of course, that uh, these deaf children have no common means of communication, and um, they are all suddenly dumped together in this boarding school, and the school is deciding that they're going to teach them uh, to read lips rather than to use sign language. And uh, so days in the classroom are spent on trying to teach these children to lip read. But meanwhile, there's a lot of time the children are by themselves in the dormitories during playtime and recess and so on. And a very remarkable thing happened. So much so that uh, this was written up in the Scientific American um, in 19... When was it written up? I've got to check up. This was written up. Um, yeah, it was in... Um, it was actually a number of years. This, this started happening in 1979, but it wasn't until the uh, December 1995 issue of Scientific American, in which Scientific American science writer John Horgan wrote a, uh, a, an article called A Sign is Born. And what it's about is this extraordinary story of these 500 deaf children in Managua and... Um, they were put in this special school in 1979, but none of them knew or was taught any formal sign language. Within a very short space of time, 
the children began to develop their own basic um, sign language, a primitive sign language, but each then each successive year of younger children entering the school picked up the sign language which had been developed entirely indigenously by the, the, the students alone, no input from the teachers, the school didn't administer it or sponsor it, children spontaneously came up with a way to communicate with each other. They first came up with nouns, and they developed a common understanding of what, you know, a ball or a school or a boy or a girl was going to be. Then after that came verbs, and then after that came adjectives, and a language emerged remarkably. And um, it, it happened all by itself. It just these children spontaneously were determined to communicate with each other. And so they did. And this warrants just a little bit of understanding, I think. When I heard this and studied it and started reading up more about it and understanding the Scientific American article, it triggered a recollection in me that I had read a little book by the wonderful American writer Tom Wolfe called The Kingdom of Speech. And I think I may have mentioned it even on this show, maybe a, a year or two ago, maybe. At, at any rate, uh, that was a very interesting sp uh, book. That led me, it was also about the, the problem of where speech came from. And you understand, as I, I've spoken about this many times, that there are many aspects of human beings that evolutionary biologists will say over 400 million years, humans evolved the ability to do this or to do that, whatever it is. And um, I have a different approach. I believe that uh, the good Lord created us in that particular way. And um, uh, the, the reasons for it are obvious if you do include a spiritual lens in the analysis. So, for instance, take the idea of blushing. Turns out there's no creature on the planet other than human beings that blush. So evolutionary biologists are still now, as I'm speaking to you, are trying to come up with an explanation for why when human beings are embarrassed, uh, their skin goes red. <laughs> and uh, and I've, I've read the most extraordinary and ingenious attempts to try and explain why this would happen through natural selection. So that over hundreds of millions of years, people who accidentally had the capacity to blush at embarrassment enjoyed a mating and reproductive advantage, and so this then became part of all human beings. That's the evolutionary biologist approach. And my approach is, no, we've got to ask ourselves, why would God have decided to put a visible external sign on human beings for when they're feeling embarrassed or uncomfortable. And it's on the, lar it's on the largest organ in our bodies, namely our skins. And so um, you know, where and how that came about is a real challenge. Uh, another one is the hymen 
in the human female. All right, now, again, from an evolutionary biology point of view, there are all kinds of attempts to try and explain why human females have a hymen, which is a, uh, a thin little piece of skin uh, which breaks at the, the first time that uh, a woman has relations with her husband. And sometimes evolutionary biologists will say, well, it's not just humans. Uh, the elephant has something like that as well. And the reality is, well, the female elephant does have something like that, but it doesn't break until baby Dumbo is born. Uh, prior to that, it doesn't. And so uh, it's not exactly the same. Human females do. Tough to explain by evolutionary biology. I'm not saying you can't. I'm just saying it looks a little bit like trying to scratch your right ear with your left hand around the back of your head. It's a bit of a stretch. But, um, you know, from, again, from a, a, a godly and biblical perspective, it's, it's pretty straightforward. And that is virginity in a human female is hugely prized and valued uh, because a man wants to have exclusivity over his wife, and that means exclu exclusivity always. And in the same way as it's deeply wounding to a man if his wife has a relationship with another man, it's actually also wounding in a more subtle and subconscious way for a man to know that his wife had relationships with other men before he was married. For that reason, uh, for most men, I think, I'm sure there are exceptions, but for the overwhelming majority of men who are married to a woman who had been married before, they don't really like socializing with her ex. They don't want to socialize with her first husband. And uh, a woman who lived with a guy for a long time, or for, you know, for, for a short time, but lived with him, and then she gets married to somebody, the, new, the husband is not really, like, if she says, oh, can we invite Tom to our party? I mean, you know, I lived with him for two years. <laughs> Very few husbands would say to their wives, oh, what a great idea. You probably haven't seen him since we're married. Come on, let's invite him. No, that's not what would happen. And so, yeah, there's, there's a very good reason. From a spiritual perspective, there's a very good reason for a hymen. From a spiritual perspective, there's a very good reason why human beings blush. And the big problem, even bigger than those, is how language arrived. Because if it evolved then you ought to be able to see some indication, some of the basics of language at the most primitive level even. Fine, not in goldfish, but in dolphins. All right, fine, not dolphins. Uh, how about horses? Okay, fine. How about chimpanzees? Come on, I'm, I'm willing to go anywhere you like. And, uh, and I know there's probably going to be uh, one or two people listening who are going to write to me saying, oh, what about those two gorillas, Coco and the other one also with a K, that spoke? And then there was a, a chimpanzee called Nimchumsky uh, in a sort of a humorous reference to the famous academic linguist Noam Chomsky. 
Uh, now, um, there isn't time to go into it now, but suffice it to say, if you are interested in the topic, it'll take you all of about 10 minutes to satisfy yourself that no, those animals never came even close to talking. So much so that I was led to a magazine called Frontiers in Psychology. And uh, in May 2014, in the month of May 2014, they had an article um, describing how eight very strongly committed scientists, scientists committed to evolutionary biology, and um, um, some were linguists, there were biologists, anthropologists, computer scientists. They were eight heavy hitters. And they, they authored this article. Um, people like Noam Chomsky, by the way, and Richard Lewinton, who I'm always fascinated by, and uh, Michael Ryan and, and five others. So they write an article uh, saying they're giving up, that they've spent years trying to find the evolutionary origins of language, and they're giving up. Um, and I'm quoting now from the article, the most fundamental questions about the origins and evolution of our linguistic capacity remain as mysterious as ever. Um, they said, uh, we actually are despairing of ever finding an answer. We are not, we di- we're not sure there is an answer. We're not sure that there is an evolutionary basis to language. Um, said, uh, Chomsky himself, who, by the way, is a, an atheistic guy, in the last 40 years, there's been an explosion of research on this problem, and all it has produced is a colossal waste of time. It's amazing. So um, language, yeah, this, this is really, really important. Uh, since Darwin, what's that, about 150 years, a little bit more, uh, since Darwin, think what's hap- what, 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 what has happened to mankind since then, right? Um, Einstein discovered the speed of light, the relativity of speed and time. Um, Louis Pasteur discovered germs and bacteria. Uh, Watson and Crick discovered DNA, the building blocks that genes are made of. And um, airplanes came about. Um, computers, uh, I mean, just elect- electri- electricity, street lighting. I mean, just think what happened in the 150 years since Charles Darwin wrote The Origin of the Species. And um, how about in this field of linguistics, the origin of languages? Nothing. Nada. Zip. Zero. No information at all. So this definitely does warrant a little bit of thinking. Meanwhile, um, back at the ranch, there is for just a short, short while, if you're you're listening to this podcast soon after its release, then this is for you. Um, And that is that there is a really terrific sale on a resource on our website called Scrolling Through Scripture. Now, I have to tell you that the foundation of all that you need to know for a genuine understanding of the Bible 
is found in the first 34 verses. Now, chapter 1 is actually only um, 31 verses. And so, interestingly enough, the full disclosure of what it's all about and the basic things you have to know and understand. Let me give you an example. The very first um, sentence of the Bible, in the beginning God created heaven and earth. Well, why didn't it just say Vink and say in the beginning God created everything? And um, one of the things I show you in this, and, and, and it's about a 10-hour program, a little bit more than 10 hours, scrolling through Scripture, is that in the beginning God created heaven and earth. I show you how we know that the word heaven means a spiritual reality and the word earth means a physical reality. So in other words, we human beings have certain physical needs, food, shelter, uh, air, water, if I didn't say that. But we human beings also have spiritual needs. What are they? Connection with other human beings. When you hear the, uh, the words solitary confinement, if you're a really busy mom with a busy family and you do work and you're running your family, you probably think the word solitary confinement is like a special birthday treat. Your husband and your kids come into your bedroom on the morning of your birthday and they've got a cup of coffee and a birthday cake and they sing happy birthday and they say and now for the rest of the day you can go into solitary confinement and you say yippee how wonderful but um it's not like that the word solitary confinement should bring a shiver to your soul it is one of the most gruesome and ghastly punishments and i'm sorry to tell you that in the American system of incarceration, both state and federal, as appalling as it is, it's even worse because they do have prisoners in solitary confinement. It is an absolutely appalling torture. We human beings have a spiritual need that is every bit as compelling as our need for food and water and oxygen and that is connection with other people. See, we're coming all the way back to language again. How did those children in Nicaragua just come up with communication? And how is it that we have communication, even though animals do not? So a weird evolution. It skipped the animals and jumped straight to people. Is that what happened? It's bizarre. The implications are unnerving, as those eight scientists in the frontiers of psychology uh, um, acknowledged. And so in scrolling through scripture, I explain that heaven and earth are words that mean spiritual and physical, that we have spiritual needs, we have physical needs. Um, what about uh, male-female intimacy? What's that? Is that a physical need or a spiritual need? It's not a simple question to answer, is it? If it was just a physical need, then... All you would need is a mechanical stimulator, and that would solve everything. But that isn't good enough, not for men and not for women. That means 
that it has to have a deeply spiritual component because it only can be resolved with another human being. All of these things are laid out for us in the first 34 verses of Genesis that I take over 10 hours to explain with, with guides and with, uh, with charts and so on to visualize things, make it a little bit easier to see. And um, also we find language. It's very interesting because in the first chapter, in the first chapter of Genesis, there is, um, there's no indication of speech. But in the second chapter, we already start seeing um, a, a level of communication. So, somehow or another, God breathes into Adam the breath of life. But wait, that term in Hebrew, the breath of life, actually means not breathing. It means speaking, communication. So, this stuff's pretty profound. At any rate, please go to RabbiDanielLappin.com, RabbiDanielLappin.com, um, have a look for scrolling through Scripture. By the way, you even get to see one of those lessons just for free. Just have a look at it. And if you do want to um, employ the coupon code for a, a very big amount of money off, and uh, you happen to be listening in time while this still is running, then you will use the coupon code STS standing for scrolling through scripture, the number one, and then the uh, three letters FEB for February, followed by the numbers 2023. So STS1, Feb 2023, and that's the coupon code. If you go right away, as soon as this podcast is released, um, if you go right away, you will be able to um, do uh, exactly that. And so I wouldn't wouldn't waste any time. It would really be well worth both your time and your money, I can tell you that. So uh, just think about that. Just contemplate what this actually means, that the way you and I communicate, the extraordinary thing, that here am I in my studio talking, knowing full well that in a matter of hours, you will be listening and through the way I move my mouth and my lips and my tongue, I produce certain sounds that are going to produce exactly the response that I predict in your ears and in, in your heart and in your soul. This is amazing. Now, when I speak of thinking about the way I make these sounds and that these sounds are going to be construed by you and by you and by him and by him and by her, everybody listening. And by the way, thanks to your efforts at helping to make this show well-known and promoting it and telling people about it, um, there are hundreds of thousands of people now listening to the show, which is really very beautiful. And it places a heavy sense of responsibility upon me, but it's, at the same time, it's, it's very exciting. So uh, those, those words I just uttered uh, lingered with me from a book I'd read a while back. There's a guy called Steven Pinker, 
And um, uh, he, I think, is at MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and uh, written a number of books. Uh, the Blank Slate is, is one that I found very interesting. But another one was called um, The New Science of Language and Mind. And um, let me read to you from this book. As you are reading these words, you are taking part in one of the wonders of the natural world. For you and I belong to a species with a remarkable ability. We can shape events in each other's brains with remarkable precision. That ability is language. Simply by making noises with our mouths, we can reliably cause precise new combinations of ideas to arise in each other's minds. The ability comes so naturally that we are apt to forget what a miracle it is. And that's really the reality, that we are talking about a miracle. It seems that we human beings are created to communicate in a way that no other creature has been created. And, uh, and that is a remarkable idea that completely changes my sense of who I am on this world and in this universe. I'm created to connect with other human beings. I'm created to communicate. I'm created to cooperate and collaborate and ultimately to create because creativity happens when two human beings interact. And how do two human beings interact? Only two ways, either sexually or through language. That's how we create, that's how we connect, and it's how we create, remarkably enough. It seems that reading and writing do not emerge naturally. Those 500 Nicaraguan children, if you would just leave them alone, I don't think they would have come up with a system of reading, a system of writing, a system of graphically depicting symbols of communication. But actual verbal communication, mouth to ear, person to person, that seems to be something that is literally hardwired, built into us. I don't know um, what evolutionary biologists are saying nowadays to try and explain speech. I mean, I could imagine, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to suggest that uh, anything like this is an open and shut uh, set of evidence for creation and God. Uh, there cannot be such a thing. There will not be such a thing because it would eliminate the whole point of faith. But um, what I would say is that I think this is a very tough one. Uh, I imagine one of the things that I would say if, if I had to take the side of an evolutionary biologist, I'd probably say, look, um, some tribe, some band of chimpanzees developed more sophisticated ways of grunting at each other. And so they got so much advantage by that that they wiped out all the other bands of chimps. They were the only ones that survived. 
and then they multiplied, and over time, they had a subgroup in them that developed even better forms of communication. So all the others died out or were killed, and only these, look, I'm sure you can hear, it's a tough argument to make, and there may be better ones, I don't know. But what I do know is that according to my worldview, God created us different, distinct, and unique from every other creature on the planet. And the huge difference is speech. And that speech is what is primarily responsible for airplanes and uh, relativity and computers and motor cars and everything else you see around you. Why? Because in the same way that the incredible creativity of a baby emerges when a, a man and a woman have a loving and intimate relationship, uh, so it is that ideas are created, very powerful ideas, and that's why we even use the word, he conceived of the idea, because we recognize a similarity between the way a baby arrives and the way an idea arrives. An idea arrives when previous ideas are discussed and communicated and, uh, and connect with one another. And that's all done through the miracle of language. If there was no language, then each generation of human beings would be like every generation of chimpanzees. And that is that they'd have to figure things out afresh. The only reason that, you know, in, um, in, uh, the, um, uh, in, in the last 20 years, the only reason that the smartphone emerged is because prior to that, other people had built the semiconductor and other people had built the computer and other people had built integrated circuits. And so one thing coupled with another you know, it was like uh, the idea of a sandwich. We had bread, we had meat. Somebody came along, the Earl of Sandwich, they say, put them together, you know, or ice cream cones. They had waffles, they had ice cream. Somebody came and put the two things together. So much of inventiveness is precisely that idea. And so uh, uh, language, yeah, language is what makes it all possible. And so I uh, would like to suggest for your further growth in your family and your finance, your faith, your fitness, and your friendships, I would like to suggest, number one, that if you are somebody who employs obscenities and vulgarities in your speech, I would like to recommend an experiment for you. Try leaving it out. Now, it's not going to be easy because if you are a person who sprinkles your speech with obscenities, it is so much already a part of who you are that you'll discover it's extremely difficult. You're going to have to retrain yourself to communicate effectively without using obscenities and without using vulgarities. Um, if you want help on that, on my website, I have a uh, download program called the, the Perils of Profanity. You are what you speak. 
Um, it's a, about a one-hour audio program called The Perils of Profanity. You are what you speak. I would like to recommend that if by chance you happen to be somebody who just, you know, grew up and accustomed yourself to communicating in a way that includes um, cuss words and obscenities and vulgarities, um, you might want to, to get the best out of your miracle of language and speech. You might want to try and get rid of that. I'd recommend you give it a try, right? If indeed uh, you find that your life works better financially, socially, romantically, if you have uh, modified your speech patterns, then you'll uh, send me a note and say, thank you, that was a good idea, worked well for me. If it doesn't, then no harm done. You can just go back to your old way of communicating if it makes no difference. But I think it will. And the second thing I'd like to recommend is, again, something which if you've read my books and you've listened to some of my other programs, then you already know. But there's so many new people coming on all the time on this show that I don't think I have to apologize for repeating the importance of improving your ability to articulate effectively, your ability to communicate through fluent speech. There is no price that can be placed on this. It is so valuable for social connection, for romantic connection, for economic and financial connection. So how do you do it? And the answer is read aloud three times a week for half an hour. Right now, you probably spend more than that time watching a screen during the course of an average week. I hope not, but you probably do. So just chip into screen watch time for an hour and a half, three times a week, half an hour each time, and pick a book that is a good book. You can even use the good book if you want. You can read from the Bible. I promise you that won't hurt. And um, But whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Just make sure that it's a good book that sounds uh, closer to how you wish you sounded when you spoke, and read it aloud. Now, you might be fortunate enough to have a spouse who enjoys listening to you read aloud, in which case, go for it. Uh, if not, you could always rent a kid from one of your uh, family members and read to the child. And if none of that works for you, then just read aloud to yourself. But the important thing is that for an hour and a half a week in total, your ears must hear your lips and tongue enunciating the words that are ultimately going to become part of your vocabulary. And um, do this for six weeks. Do you hear me? Six weeks. Not a long time. Six weeks. At the end of six weeks, if somebody doesn't come to you and say, hey, you, you sound different. You, you're sounding very sure of yourself. You're sounding confident. You're speaking more quickly. If somebody doesn't do that, then you can write to tell me. And uh, I will, what will I do? <laughs> I'll be astounded. I'll be shocked and amazed. I want to make absolutely sure you did this right just the way I'm telling you. But if all, if all of that fails, well, I... Um, just have to apologize. Didn't work for you. Works for everybody, though. So um, I've been doing this for long enough, and enough thousands of people have tried this and confirmed how powerfully this works. 
I, I can't emphasize enough how important it is for every meaningful aspect of your life that you speak more efficiently and better than you do now. And then finally, I just want to stress uh, the importance of English. We have many, many listeners uh, from all around the world. Many of you I know are not from English-speaking countries. Now, obviously, you understand English, otherwise you wouldn't be listening to the show. But I would like to recommend that you work on becoming better at English. Don't forget, English is an extraordinary language with an extraordinary history. And I'm not saying you should become good at English because of its history. I'm saying there's a reason why the next time you fly on an airplane, it is going to be the pilot will communicate with air traffic control in English. And the next time the organization of uh, um, petroleum exporting countries, OPEC, meets to discuss raising the price of gasoline, 13 member countries, seven, I believe, of them are Arabic-speaking. So what do you think is the language all OPEC meetings are held in? Well, they meet in Austria, which speaks German. So maybe they all talk German when they're there, or maybe they speak Arabic. Well, three or four, I think, now yeah, maybe two or three of the countries speak Spanish. So maybe they, no. OPEC meetings are conducted in English. The European Economic Community in Brussels, they hate Britain. Right? I mean, and they've never forgiven England for going for Brexit and breaking away from the European Economic Community. The main language spoken in deliberation in the European Parliament, English. That's right. Uh, there is a reason for that, and it lies beyond what I'm going to cover today. But um, it's a good enough reason to make sure that even if your native language is Lithuanian or your native language is Nigerian or you speak Zimbabwean, it doesn't matter. Make sure that your English improves. Make your English better and better and better. And you do that by reading aloud for a minimum of an hour and a half a week. You can do more. It'll, it'll just make your results arrive more quickly. But uh, I would like to recommend, I want to see happy warriors thrive and prosper. I want to see you all moving onwards and upwards to bright, bright futures. And that means in every part of your life, the five critical areas of your life, your finances, your family, your physical fitness, your friendships and your faith. And there isn't a single part of that that is not enormously enhanced by more effective communication because we were created to communicate. We were created to connect. We were created to collaborate and cooperate. And ultimately, we were created to create, to be like God himself. Tough to understand all of this through the eyes of evolutionary biology, but it's not impossible. Uh, this way seems to fit together far more coherently, as I see it at any rate, and I hope you find it useful too. And so that, my dear happy warriors, is as far as we'll go today. And so until we get together next week, visit my website, rabbidaniellappin.com. Uh, watch the free lesson in the Scrolling Through Scripture series. Uh, 
and um, you do your best to grow during this week in your family matters, in your finance matters, your friendships, your physical fitness, and yes, your faith as well. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless.